Let's pray. Lord, you invite us here to your house on Sundays to sit at your table and receive your supper, to sit at your feet and hear your word. Bless us now in that hearing. In your name we pray. Amen. Whitney was a 13-year-old girl from a broken home, dabbling in behaviors that no 13-year-old should be dabbling in. She didn't have a church background. Her family didn't go to church. So she didn't know much about faith until one day one of her friends in school invited her to come to their youth meeting at church. And the group welcomed her with open arms, and they played games, they prayed, they talked about life and Jesus. And the next day, Whitney at school was going up to everyone that she knew and saying, come with me to my church. You got to come. Come to my church. Not knowing it, she even invited the daughter of the pastor of the church. Isn't that amazing? One night there, and she called it my church. Because she'd never experienced the kind of love and acceptance that she had experienced that night at that youth meeting. And she wanted others to experience it too. To learn what she had started to learn. Whitney's story opens the first chapter of a book that we're reading on staff called Gospel DNA Markers of a Flourishing Church, written by our district president, Mike Newman. Whitney's story is for him a prime example of the first marker of a flourishing church. Love for people. Love for people is essential. If Fishers is to become an open-armed family of believers. Think about it. It's the core of our mission statement. Growing, loving, and serving like Jesus. And so I want you to hear... Because Paul lays out in, in reading from 1 Corinthians just how essential this is. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, you and I can do everything right. Fishers can do all sorts of great things in the kingdom of God. But if done without 
this thing called love, it means nothing. Now, let's think about this. This passage takes place right after the passage we looked at last week where it talks about being the body of Christ. Individually, members of it, with all our gifts and abilities. But before Paul goes on, he tells us the most important thing about using the gifts and talents that God has given us. And that is that they are to be done with love. So, how are we doing? How loving is Fisher's? Now, the temptation is to answer that all about you and me. To judge the congregation based on how well people have loved us. Well, you know, I came and to this event and nobody talked to me. Not a loving place. Well, you know, I went to this other church and... There it was stone silent. Nobody even greeted me, but Fishers is so much more loving by comparison. You know, I missed a couple of Sundays and no one called to check on me. Folks, such comparisons miss the point. Such all about how people love me miss the point. If it's all about whether people love me or, or not, uh, there's a name for that. It's called self-pity. Feeling sorry for yourself. If you really want Fishers to be a loving place, the question is not how others are loving us. The question is, what are you? What am I doing? To love others. Because love isn't about me. Love is about other people. And that's the love that is described here in 1 Corinthians 13. It's not selfish love. I, I love you because of what I need to get from you. The word here is not friendship or brotherly love. I, I love you because I like you. The word here is not describing the word that's used to describe uh, love between a husband and wife. Bible, Greek has all sorts of words for those kinds of love. Now this is God's love. Unconditional love. Love in spite of everything. You know, the, the Greek word here is agape. And if you were to go and look at this passage... In, in 1 Corinthians 13, in the Old King James Version, they would translate that word as charity. And somebody the other day asked me, why does the King James use the word charity? Because that's a great word to describe what this love is. It's a handout. It's a, it's a love that we can never deserve, we can never repay, a love we can only receive as beggars before God. Folks, there's only one person for whom this describes him. That's Jesus. I'm sorry. I always, 
I love that this gets used at weddings. It's a great passage. But neither your husband nor your wife is Jesus. But he's necessary. In fact, I don't know if you realize that you can take the name Jesus and put it in every place where the word love occurs and it still makes perfect sense. Here's a little paraphrase. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. Jesus is the very definition of agape love. Let's just go through it a little bit. His love is not self-seeking. Being in very nature God, He did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Remember when nobody else wanted to do the dirty work, Jesus himself got up from the table, got down on his hands and knees and washed the feet of the others. He came, he said, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His love is not self-seeking. His love keeps no record of wrongs from the cross for those who crucified Him. He prayed, Father, forgive them. And for you and me, He promises, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. His love Always protects. Remember what happened the night when he was betrayed and they came to arrest him and one of them struck with a sword and cut off the ear of the high priest? Jesus, being arrested, stops, gets down on his hands and knees and heals the ear of Malchus, one of the men who came to arrest him. Jesus always protects. Jesus Always perseveres. I just love this verse from, from Hebrews 12, verse 2. In the context, he's talking about running a marathon. He talks about how Jesus persevered. He says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He perseveres, and his love never fails. All these things, Paul wrote, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is how God in Jesus Christ loved. You and me. Now comes the hard part. 
To be an open-armed family of God means to love others like Jesus loves us. How in the world? I just said there's only one person whom that can describe. How in the world is that possible? How do we do that? There's only one way. As imperfect, repentant sinners who have first been loved by him. We love because he loved us. Now, his love is always perfect and our love is always messy, right? And imperfect. We're at best a, a imperfect reflection. But I, I, I always laugh to myself, not out loud at them, when people complain that the church is full of hypocrites. When people are amazed that sometimes we in the church don't always treat each other the best. When people are surprised that sometimes rather than say the right thing or the helpful thing, we say the hurtful thing. I always want to say, well, what did you think? The church is made up of sinners. Of course there are hypocrites. Of course we make mistakes. Of course we do the wrong thing from time to time. That's why we're here. Folks, that's why the only way we can be a loving, open-armed family of believers is by confessing our failings. By seeking out forgiveness from Him and one another. By embracing each other with grace is God has embraced us with grace. You know, a few years ago, I was having this trouble with this other fellow in the church. I was angry with him. There wasn't anybody here. But I was just really angry and having a hard time getting over it. I was talking to a fellow pastor about it, and he said, Wayne, when you picture God's grace, what picture comes to mind? And it wasn't exactly this picture. It was like this one. It was a a picture that somebody gave me when my dad died. It's of Jesus uh, embracing somebody. and all, You see Jesus, but all you see of the other person is their back and welcoming them into heaven. And I described that to him. I said, that's how I picture grace, Jesus embracing me in spite of everything. And then he said, he said, okay, suppose this guy you're so angry with is in that picture standing off to the side. What would Jesus do? Well, he'd probably open his arm and bring him into the embrace. What would that mean for you? Well, I suppose Jesus had wanted me to open my arms and bring him into the embrace as well. That's what it means to be an open-armed family of believers. That no matter who God brings to us, or to you or to me, friend, or foe, someone you really like, or someone you don't like very much, to open your arms to that person and invite them into the embrace. Invite them to be embraced with us. By Jesus. Amen?
Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life that is everlasting. Amen.